Good morning, everybody. Why don't we go ahead and begin in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses. We forgive those who trespass against us, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. So, everybody slept well last night as we enter into our last talk today and our last day together in retreat. And this is a talk that I've never really given before, um, but as I explained the, the inspiration for it, I think it will make a little bit more sense. Um, it actually came from a former spiritual directee, a former student who now is a cloistered nun overseas. She is quite the queen, a very strong, some might say headstrong young woman. And she heard this retreat, or a copy of the retreat, and she said that she thought there was another talk that I should give. And I'm going to give you the quote from Sister um, that kind of explains everything. She says, here is the topic of the conference that I would like you to make. Yes, Sister, that is what you will say. So she's just it's in parentheses. Uh, I'm not the only one who knows how to tell sisters, not just the Carmelites, I tell lots of sisters, yes. Because if we are going to have Marian hearts, this is about a conference I gave on having Marian hearts a couple years ago, we need to have the heart of a martyr. This has been my prayer. For a long time, I wondered why Mary was not martyred like the apostles, and why it is that she is called the queen of the martyrs, if she was not so much as even thrown into jail. It's because she had the heart of a martyr and died for Christ there in her heart every day. Please find a way to say this eloquently, to convince people to convert, to be martyrs according to the heart of Mary, and I will sustain you with my prayers. Great. I love sisters praying for me. Then she says, I am most certain that the world and the devil will come to attack you for this, but it is very important. Well, okay, great, sister, thanks. So we'll see. I'm going to go ahead and give it a shot. I'm talking about this. Sister is very convincing. So I want to talk about this. Is, is again, we're talking about female archetypes. And so what does it mean to say the woman as a martyr, particularly in the frame of Mary? Mary as queen of martyrs. So what, what does martyrdom mean? It's a word we're familiar with. We normally think, well, the martyr is the person who, who dies, who sheds their blood for Jesus. But it actually comes from the Greek word martyrion, which means to witness. And so a martyr is someone who witnesses to their belief in Christ. Of course, the greatest form of witness is by shedding your blood. But the tradition sort of gives us two different types of martyrdom. Obviously, there is the red martyrdom. That's the martyrdom of those who, who shed their blood for Jesus. But there is the white martyrdom also. That is more of an interior martyrdom. You don't shed your blood. You don't necessarily endure bodily suffering, but it is the suffering and the endurance of interior strife, 
interior trials. It is the martyrdom of the heart. The martyrdom of the heart. And so when we talk about Mary as queen of martyrs, it's not because she died a physical death, but it's because of what? The sword that pierced her heart. We reflect on the sorrowful mysteries and the great pain that she endured during this time um, of, of her own struggle with her own following Christ and the darkness that she had to endure and that faith that she had to endure. And so if you go back to the, the Marian retreat, I don't know if Sister still has those talks available. I talked about the sword that pierced Mary's heart. It was a sword that was um, a heart that, that was tender. And the sword opened the space for other people to be present. And so basically comes, though, the culmination of this is the suffering with her son on the cross. She was there wishing she could have died with Jesus, wishing she could have given her life with and for her son. And so she, instead of dying a physical death, she is the queen of martyrs because of the swords that pierced her heart, because of her interior martyrdom, because of this martyrdom of the heart. A very Marian type of martyrdom, and I think, as we'll see, a potentially very feminine type of martyrdom. And it's the type that we're going to focus on here. We're not going to talk about necessarily that you need to go and get your head cut off or get shot or stabbed or something like that for Jesus, but martyrdom of the heart. And so keeping with the the theme that we've been sort of uh, stringing through a lot of what we've discussed, I want to be able to bring up St. Therese, um, because she talks very specifically about the martyrdom of the heart. And after I had gotten this letter from sister telling me to write this talk, she all, uh, I stumbled upon a, um, I'm looking to make sure that everything is still recording here, uh, stumbled upon a letter from St. Therese written to Maurice Bellier, who was the seminarian who that Therese was given to correspond with. And she's here in this letter encouraging Maurice in his own vocation to follow Christ in the priesthood uh, and to persevere in the way of the cross. And so this is what she writes to Maurice. Jesus wants you to begin your mission already and to save souls through suffering. Isn't it by suffering and dying that he himself redeemed the world? I know that you aspire to the joy of laying down your life for the divine master, but martyrdom of the heart is no less fruitful than that of bloodshed. And from now on, this martyrdom is yours. I feel that the surest means of achieving my purpose is through prayer and suffering. Let us work together for the salvation of souls. We have only the one day of this life to save them and thus to give our Lord some proof of our love. The tomorrow of this day will be eternity. And so that's a a pretty thorough definition, but it's where she talks about 
the martyrdom of the heart as that interior martyrdom, sort of juxtaposed to the martyrdom of blood, of actually giving your life. And sort of in trying to sum it all up and looking at it, I think we can say this, if I'm going to give one sort of definition of what martyrdom of the heart is, is from taken from this passage from St. Therese. It is the interior suffering of the heart prayerfully and joyfully offered for others. So again, let me repeat that. Martyrdom of the heart is the interior suffering of the heart prayerfully and joyfully offered for others. So notice, I say joyfully because she says, I know that you aspire to the joy of laying down your life. So this is what martyrdom of the heart is. And I think as much as she encourages Maurice to, 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 to offer his heart as a martyr, it is a type of martyrdom that women experience in a very unique and profound way. Just as we can say that men can be kings and prophets and warriors, so can they be martyrs. But there is something that is very unique and profound in the way that women struggle with or offer up the sufferings in their heart. And so there's one thing that we know, and again, I'm not trying to fall into stereotypes, we're focusing more on archetypes, but women feel things deeply, lots of feelings. Men, sometimes we generally feel anger deeply. I, got, I, I, I have this analogy I use of like when it comes to crayons. Men, we, we have like the little eight-pack of crayons. Those are our emotions. <laughs> Some men have the three-pack they get at the restaurant, you know? <laughs> Most women have the 154-pack. <laughs> and they get the little, the, you get the little uh, sharpener in it, too. Some of you even have the, the glow-in-the-dark colors. So there is, and it's again, it's, it's just women, because of, of, of a number of different things, biology, you, you feel more intense, there's a greater vulnerability. And I think that it's something that's perfectly fine. In fact, it's necessary. We, we need as a culture to t- quit telling women to quit feeling things. It's part of who God created you to be. Men need to be able to have more balanced emotions themselves. So we know there's a lot of feeling that's going on. And women often, too, are more prayerful than men. Again, you know, we have 80 women every other weekend or so for retreat, and we got one men's retreat. Dudes just don't want to do it. Now, if I said, hey, everybody, we're going to get together and watch football or go hunting, then they may come. (laughs) But there is something that's just not there. And St. Therese actually notices this. This is a great quote from her. She says, Ah, poor woman, how they, women, they are misunderstood. And yet they love God in much larger numbers than men do. And during the passion of our Lord, women had more courage than the apostles, since they braved the insults of the soldiers and dared to dry the adorable face of Jesus. It is undoubtedly because of this that he allows misunderstanding to be their lot on earth. This is the, the cross, I guess. Since he, cho- since he chose it for himself, in heaven he will show that his thoughts are not men's thoughts, for then the last will be first. And so women have this like natural receptivity 
I think we can maybe draw from theology of the body to understand this, where they receive and they're able to pray more and let the Lord work in their lives, where men, we tend to, and again, I'm not trying to fall into stereotypes, like to grasp and to control, much more fearful of letting go and letting the Lord take over our lives. But it's these things sort of connected in the real genius of women. John Paul II sort of talks about the feminine genius, and he talks about different qualities of it, but the real genius of women is their ability to love, to have compassion and care for others in a way that guys don't always have. We care about things, we care about ideas, but it's often very difficult to get a man to care about the person in front of them. And so this is what John Paul II says in his letter, Mulieris Dignitatem. The moral and spiritual strength of women is joined to her awareness that God entrusts the human being to her in a special way. That, that, that humans are trusted to women in a special way. Of course, God entrusts every human being to each and every other human being. But this entrusting, this giving, concerns women in a special way, precisely by reason of their femininity. And this is in a particular way the terminant of their vocation. A woman is strong because of awareness of this entrusting, strong because of the fact that God entrusts the human being to her. So notice, drawing from strength here, we go back to the warrior, the courage and the strength a woman is called to have. But she's given and she's entrusted with human beings in a very particular way. And that's rooted in what? The fulfillment of the perfection of femininity, I believe, or as John Paul II will say, and I think most people with common sense will say, in that call to motherhood. Just as all men are called to fatherhood, whether it be physical or spiritual, all women are called to motherhood to be physically a mother or to be spiritually and emotionally a mother. And so the woman's heart is the heart of a mother. It's a maternal heart, which means it is going to be a heart that suffers, particularly for and with her children. I've heard women talk about this so much, and I know that I'm sure there are many of you here who struggle with pain to see your children who may be run away from the church, who are involved in drugs or alcohol or in other sort of strange lifestyles. Guys tend not to be as bothered by this. I don't know why it is. Probably because we don't give birth to the children. Women hold the kids like the, the, the child is right there under your heart. And so that maternal heart is one that is entrusted with others. It's that safe refuge that we talked about yesterday. And it's one that is easily pierced. So let's explore a little bit this interior suffering, not only for your own children, but I think for humanity, uh, for the people that are entrusted to women. So many different instances of interior suffering. We can have a broken heart. The shame that comes as a result of trauma. It's the suffering of the woman with the hemorrhage. In scripture, she's ashamed and she wants to hide herself. The lies and accusations that come from the accuser, the interior darkness that comes whenever we encounter bewildering suffering and darkness, it doesn't make any sense to us. And the overall, of course, daily death to self, 
not easy at all. But really, this martyrdom is more about the suffering that we take or we experience, but the suffering with and for others. This is the grief of compassion, the compassionate feminine heart, cum passiones. It's with passion, to suffer with. Passus means to suffer in Latin. And so women tend to really have that suffering heart. Oh, I see you suffering. I understand your suffering. Even more than sympathy, it's empathy. The empathic heart that is willing to suffer the same thing someone else is, a sharing in their pain, particularly people we love, particularly people who are close to us. Maybe we have that empathy and that compassion because these other people share their suffering with us. They give it to us. Or we can just feel it. Whenever someone comes and shares sad news or wherever we read in the newspaper about someone who's really struggling or having a rough time, we can feel it in our hearts. Men can feel this too. But in a particular way, women do. And so as a result, there's this compassion and desire to offer comfort. We'll look at the etymology of comfort. It comes from the word of fortitude, F-O-R-T, to be strong, to offer comfort or to be a comforting presence is one that says, hey, I'm going to be with you to give you some strength. And it's the mother who gives, the woman who gives the suffering individual great strength. And so we have this interior suffering, we have this compassion, this desire to show comfort. How do we allow it to become or connect to martyrdom of the heart? Simply experiencing the suffering in our hearts for others doesn't make us martyrs. There's got to be something else. And I think the key is offering them prayerfully for others. And so Therese talks about this martyrdom of the heart is there to save souls, but it has to be done through suffering and prayer. Not just suffering, oh, my life is terrible and miserable, but suffering and compassion and empathy that is taken on, that is offered for others prayerfully. Not just saying prayers. Well, let me say three Hail Marys and I have martyrdom of the heart. No, that's not what we're talking about at all. I'm saying you can do your three Hail Marys, but it's got to be a real encountering of God, an intimacy with the Father, learning to be able to rest with him. We talked about that a little bit yesterday. And as we pray more, we're going to become more attuned to the needs of others, more sensitive to the needs of others. But what happens is, as others are given to us, as we encounter others, as we learn to experience greater empathy, then our prayer, which often is just about ourselves, praying for this, praying for that, becomes prayer for others. It becomes intercessory prayer, where we are praying and we find ourselves not praying so much for ourselves, but for others for our family members, our friends, those who ask us for prayer. And granted, it may be difficult. Father, we got so many people to pray for. Take Therese's advice. She speaks very specifically about this. 
She says she can't remember all the people that asked her for prayers. So she says, draw me. Draw me closer, Jesus. And as you draw me, you're going to draw everyone else who's been given to me. And so what Therese hints at is that, yes, this intercessory prayer is speaking for, advocating for others. Lord, help this person who's suffering. Please bless them. Give them what they need or what they want. But as Therese's words show, sometimes this intercessory prayer isn't about words. It isn't about going down our whole list of praying for this person or that person and saying this is what they need or this is what they want. It's just saying, Lord, draw me and you know the people I love. You know that you are going to want to give them good things and bless them. There are no need for words. I think we can go to Romans chapter 8, verses 26 and 27, where Paul talks about the prayer that sighs and the groans of the spirit that come from the depth of the heart. And so prayer becomes something more, much more than words. Imagine that you have just gotten news of a loved one who's just been diagnosed with cancer or someone that you know and you care about is going through a difficult time. You can feel it in your heart. The way your heart drops, it becomes very heavy. You can offer that as a prayer. That sensation, that pain, that sword that is piercing your heart, that's the prayer right there. Mary prayed to the foot of the cross. She wasn't praying her rosary. She wasn't reciting a novena. It it was the very pain that she experienced in her heart that was offered as the prayer. It's not complicated. But the reality is we make things so much more complicated than they need to be. The Lord knows that we are suffering for the other person. The Lord knows that our heart is heavy. Lord, here is my heart. That's the prayer. With all the pain and all the suffering and the, the, the swords that are pierced. And it's the most powerful prayer. Much more than any words that you can say. You don't need to say any words. He already knows what you want and what you need. Lord, here is my heart. It's really, really heavy and filled with darkness and suffering for all these people who've who've brought me their their sufferings and their struggles that I have compassion for. And so as a result, what does the heart feel? The heart feels very heavy. I'm sure we've all experienced that, sort of a sadness. And this weight in the heart, though, really points to something that I've been reflecting about a lot and has been coming up in my own prayer and, and study, is that this intercessory prayer, as we intercede for others with the weight of the heart, is fulfilled in bearing burdens for others. So intercessory prayer is a bearing of a burden, the weight of a heart. You don't see this a lot, talked about a lot in Catholic circles, but in the research that I've done, a lot of the evangelicals will, will talk a lot about this, a very specific mission, a very specific gift of burden bearing. I think Catholics might call it vicarious suffering. You could root it in Galatians chapter 6, verse 2. Bear one another's burdens. So here it goes back to, to this fact that John Paul II says others are given to us. Could be our children, our loved ones, those who ask us for prayer in some mystical sense. An individual who's given to us, we are tasked with them to pray for them. 
to intercede for them and to bear their burdens and in a real sense to bear them. Because as members of the church, we're all called to carry each other. Not necessarily physically, but through our prayer, in our hearts, solidarity with those who are suffering. It's something I realized a few years ago, this idea of relationship, where we are in relationship to others. Well, again, I like etymologies, as you probably know, and I think we can look at where words come from to understand the deeper meaning of the words. Well, I always thought the relationship was relatus. Latus means to be the side, lateral. But actually it's not. Again, I'm not a Latin scholar, but it's latus with a long A. And that means latus to carry or to bear. So in relationship, technically is not I'm walking side by side with you, but if I'm in relationship with you, I'm carrying you. I'm bearing you. Like, like a shepherd carrying the sheep over the shoulders. I carry you, I carry your burdens. Why? To make it lighter for you. And in the whole mystical body of the church, he's given us the ability to do this. Sort of a spiritual or a mystical sharing of burdens. A vicarious suffering for others. To say in my heart, I'm really feeling this other person's pain. And the Lord may give you that gift even to take on the darkness or the trials of other people. So St. Therese, towards the end of her life, when she went through her dark night of the soul or her night of faith, hers was not for her own sanctification. She understood it as offered for others, particularly for those who were atheists, who struggled to believe in God. She called them her brothers, her atheist brothers. That she realized that she was getting a share in their darkness, a share in their suffering, to help to intercede for them, to pray for them, to help bring them to redemption. And it could very well be people, for people that we may be suffering, all of a sudden we feel this weight in our heart, and no one's told us about a suffering. And then we take it and we offer it up. It could be later on that the Lord might reveal it, oh, you're suffering for this person. I know of some very holy religious sisters who I believe probably share this bearing of burdens charism. They'll start feeling a weight or feeling something and come to find out the Lord will reveal later on down the line, oh, you're offering it for this person. You're helping to bear that burden. It's the ecclesial dimension of prayer, as one theologian says. Again, it could be for people that you don't know. And you won't know until you get to heaven. The suffering that you might have gone through, the burdens that you bore were actually for somebody else that you got them to heaven, and when you get to heaven, they're going to say, hey, you didn't know it, but you were praying for me. You were helping to share and bear my burdens. It's a type of spiritual transference. But also, if that's true, guess what? Others might be doing it for us. As much as we think our lives are terrible, there are others who might be experiencing the martyrdom of the heart for us. And Therese talks about this too. We've got a lot of Therese today. She says, a spark can generate great lights in the church, doctors and mortars. Without our knowing it, we often owe the graces and lights we have received to some hidden soul. Because God wills that the saints dispense graces to one another through prayer, so that they will love one another in heaven with a great love. 
How often have I thought that perhaps I owe all the graces I have received to some little soul who has prayed to God to give them to me, and whom I shall not meet until I reach heaven. So man, imagine if you prayed and you made St. Teresa saint. Whoa, it's a pretty big saint there when you find out uh, that your prayers did that. But it's true. There could be others who are vicariously interceding for us. They're going through their own martyrdom in the heart for us so that we could be saved. But ultimately, regardless of what it is, where it comes from, the burdens that we bear, particularly if we're going to be able to bear them adequately and we're going to do them for others, it's got to be done out of love. Love for God, love for neighbor has to be the motivating factor. Why? Because if we truly love someone, we're going to be willing to suffer for them, even grateful to bear the burdens. So I see a lot of the times in people who come, oh, Father, I want to do all these penances. I want to be holy. No, you don't. You just want to be a Pelagian. That's what we used to call it. We call it in, in church terms. You want to prove yourself to yourself that you're holy. No. If you're going to bear burdens, if you're going to do penances, why? It's so that you can grow in love or you can offer it for other people. Love makes us want to suffer for others. And love makes the burden easier. When Jesus says, my yoke is easy, my burden is light. Why? Because if we love the Lord and we love others, we're going to be willing to carry that burden. Not only does it make it easier, Sometimes it actually makes it a joy. Going back to the joy that Therese said in her quote, if I know that I can experience this martyrdom of the heart and I can do it for others, particularly those whom I love, what's well, a joy? I don't mind doing these things. I don't mind putting myself out for those I love. But ultimately, it is all a share in Christ's cross. This is the burden the cross of Jesus, and bearing others' burdens, we bury the cross, we, we bear the cross of Christ, and we become co-redeemers with him. And so the martyrdom of the heart is a bearing of the cross, and of course Jesus' carrying of the cross led to Calvary with his ultimate sacrifice. And so we're offering our hearts, our bodies, our lives as a sacrifice to the Father with and through Christ. So therefore, here we go, all the connections that are coming together, it is connected to Jesus' priesthood. The priest is the one who offers sacrifice. But for Jesus, a sacrifice and victim are together. Christ offers himself as the sacrifice and victim. And this is the tie to that threefold munera we talked about priest, prophet, king, that through baptism we're all called to share in that. We've already seen queenship, kingship. We've also seen prophet and prophetess. And so today we see priest. All of us, through our baptism, share in the one priesthood of Christ. Now granted, men are called to the ministerial priesthood to image Christ the bridegroom in a unique way, but we all have, through baptism, the call to offer the sacrifice of our lives through that baptismal priesthood. And here again, John Paul II, at the very, very end of his letter on women, 
drives this, uh, that mulieris indetatum, not his letter on women, on, on uh, the dignity and vocation of women, drives the point home. He says, if the human being is entrusted by God to women in a particular way, does not this mean that Christ looks to them, women, for the accomplishment of the royal priesthood? Royal priesthood, king and priest, queen and priest, which is the treasure he has given to every individual. So yes, if others have been given to us, if we are called to love and share in that priesthood, then this is the way that we offer it up. Those who have been given to us that we bear, we carry in our hearts that are safe in our hearts. A heart that is tender, but a heart that is has a great capacity to love, then we are sharing in Christ's priesthood, offering our hearts, offering them back to the Father, and the pain and the weight and the empathy that we feel, a willingness to offer our life, our heart, our very souls for the salvation of others. Does this make sense? Again, it's mystical. It's hard to put into words, but we feel it. Those people that we hold in our heart, Lord, here I'm offering as a sacrifice back to you. This is my prayer. Now, before we get into sort of how Mary exemplifies this and land a plane, what is the shadow side of this? We've talked about the shadow side before, and this is a very clear shadow side. The opposite of the priest and the martyr is the one who plays the martyr, the one who plays the victim. Oh, my goodness, I'm always persecuted. No one loves me. My life is filled with suffering. And it's your fault. It's your fault. It's your fault. It's never my fault because I'm a saint. That's the problem. Not bearing the burden of others, but becoming a burden to others. And it's all rooted in a deep insecurity and manipulation. All goes back to this. Again, we're going to go back to our, our, our Disney characters. It's Mother Gothel from Tangled. It's also the mother from Encanto. Deeply, deeply wounded woman who gaslights others, who messes with their minds, who's always playing the victim because of the suffering they've endured. And granted, these types of women have endured a lot of suffering. But instead of doing the work necessary, going to therapy, seeking counseling, it just internalizes it. It becomes part of their personality, and they're always the victim, they're always the martyr. That's very, very dangerous. And so this is where we see against that Mary, Mary, particularly at the foot of the cross. She had more suffering than any of us watching her perfect son die. But was she there condemning? Was she blaming the, Ro- the Romans? Was she blaming the Jews? No. She's quiet, offering it up as a sacrifice. One of the great sort of mystical figures of the 20th century, Adrian von Speyer, said, In this state, the mother is united with the son who gives everything, even his spirit, back to the father's hands. It is a surrender beyond all being able, bearing, enduring. It is nothing but the pure state of no longer being able. This is so heavy. I can't do it myself. Ain't nothing I can do. I can't pull Jesus off the cross. I can't make it stop. 
This is her sacrifice, letting Jesus die. And so often we have to do it too. We see others that we love suffer. We can't do anything about it. We'd love to take the cancer for ourselves. We'd love to be able to bring this person back to life. We'd be able, like to be able to go back and erase the trauma. But we can't do it. And so we just have to sort of stand by the side. Solidarity with those who are suffering. Praying for them. Offering it up. Accepting it and not necessarily trying to understand this state of not or no longer being able. There's nothing I can do but be with you and walk with you on this way of the cross. But the strength that, that, that we receive for this and also that helps us to better unite our own lives with sacrifice is the gift of the Eucharist. Here's Christ's one sacrifice. We're going to sacri- celebrate it in just a, a few moments. When we take our heavy heart and we put it on the altar with Jesus, with the Eucharist, and to offer it back to the Heavenly Father. This is why for those who want to bear the burdens of others and those who want to experience and live the martyrdom of the heart, the Mass is so central. The Eucharist is so central. Because then when we receive the Eucharist, what do we have? We have the heart of a martyr, but we also have Eucharistic hearts. Christ, of course, who is the ultimate martyr, who gives his life for the salvation of souls. He sheds his blood. And the more we receive the Eucharist, and we encounter the Eucharist, that martyrdom of the heart, our hearts will become to be more Eucharistic, more sacrificial, and of course, more grateful and joyful for the gift in sharing in Christ's cross. So with the little time we have left, I'll give you a little homework, and it's the same that I've been giving. Think of women that you know who do this well, and maybe you don't know who they are, because often those who struggle with the martyrdom of the heart, you'll never know. They're not going to let you know. But maybe a woman who's been through a lot, but the sign that she does it is she suffers joyfully. She suffers joyfully. It's not constant complaining. It's not, woe is me. It's a joyful suffering is the real sign. Therese, all that she went through and her own martyrdom of the heart, she was always joyful, always joyful. What can we learn from them? What is their prayer like? How can we learn to have that same martyrdom, that same attitude of our heart? Number two, ask the Lord to illuminate your own heart. What's stopping me from doing this? Where have I started to play the martyr or act like a martyr or play the victim? Where am I looking to blame other people for things that are wrong in my life instead of offering them up? And then meditate on John chapter 19. Mary there at the foot of the cross. And just try to ask our ladies to to share with you her own memory, what she was experiencing there so that your heart, our hearts, can be transformed to be those beautiful Marian hearts, the heart of a queen, the heart of a prophetess, the heart of a warrior, the heart of a martyr. Amen.